Hello and welcome to our first installment in the Smart Buildings Bootcamp Series for 2022, where industry experts will explain how to get started and the key components of the Smart Building Program. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, President of NiceNets Consulting, and I'll be your host for today's webinar, Smart Building Basics. And as an independent consultant, I frequently get asked the question of what makes a building smart? And why should I invest in such a program when my tenants aren't really demanding it? Or what sort of ROI should I expect from making these types of investments? If you've got similar questions or your senior executives are asking you those questions, this series will be a wealth of information for you. And many of our guests have been down this path already and our sponsors have products and services to help you develop your own strategy. But first, let me go over a few housekeeping items. If you see the Q&A section uh, in the lower left or lower right area of your particular uh, browser, uh, you can use that at any time. Submit questions, we'll try to get to them uh, throughout the webinar. If we can't get to them, we'll try to answer them in a follow-up. Uh, for the best experience, it's good to close any streaming videos to minimize the amount of bandwidth that you're being used. And if you have any problems throughout this or connecting or sound or video issues, the best thing to do is drop off and reconnect. And if you still have problems, you can contact Ian Thompson at ithompson, it's T-H-I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com. And don't worry if for some reason you still can't get connected, if you're once you're registered, you do get a copy of the recording after the event. So that'll be good. I do want to thank our sponsors for today's webinar. We do have Contact IO. They are cloud-powered IoT and all the devices that you need to start your smart building journey. We have Linkspring, edge-to-edge -edge enterprise solutions and IoT technology for today's smart building, and Spot-on Networks. They're all about managed Wi-Fi, IoT backbones, distributed antennas, and more. They know about wireless, so check them out. We thank all our sponsors and uh, they can really help you. So um, let me start by introducing our moderator today. That's Joe Amador. Joe is the managing director of Amador Consulting. He's an experienced product leader and expert in smart buildings, real estate technology and facility operations. He provides product and marketing strategy guidance to building owners and operators established building management firms, technology providers, investors, including early stage investors. Joe, come on the screen and it'll be all yours. Thank Welcome. you, Chuck. Uh, all right. Th thank you, Chuck. And, and, and uh, welcome everyone um, to the uh, to the, the session. Uh, we have a really great uh, set of speakers, both uh, practitioners who are running buildings, who are deploying smart building technology, uh, also a number of innovators that have solutions. What I wanted to talk about very quickly before we jump in and let David Gallagher of o Oxford uh, take over is just some of the, the, the reasons why smart buildings are really becoming mainstream. Um, I, I would say we're in the position where they're becoming somewhat mainstream, even if we don't know it. Uh, throughout the pandemic, we've seen articles in, in publications like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal talking about indoor air quality, talking about negative pressure rooms, things that were um, somewhat esoteric, but but now have become mainstream. Uh, and, and I think that's a good sign, uh, but also we have uh, questions on the horizon. H how do we run offices? How do we support hybrid co-working uh, type of arrangements? How do we reduce carbon emissions and reduce energy and reduce cost? How do we manage uh, our buildings more broadly? 
when the buildings may be used less consistently than they were in the past. Every Monday and every Tuesday and every Wednesday may not look the same as it did uh, you know, months or uh, years ago. Uh, more, moreover, there's a huge amount of funding flowing into more PropTech uh, prop more generally. Uh, in 2021, actually, we set a new record for overall PropTech venture funding, uh, surpassing 2019, which was the previous high. Uh, 2020 was a bit of a down year, you know, primarily because of the pandemic. But we're back on track, uh, seeing more and more investment year over year, which will mean more technologies, more innovation, more opportunities for building owners and operators to deploy technologies uh, in the smart building arena. Uh, obviously, our, our topics here are smart building basics, uh, and I believe that is useful for everyone to understand as they see new technologies coming to the forefront. Um, I, I would also say we're seeing a, a, a pretty uh, significant increase in M&A activity, which uh, I would say is a good sign. It means that a lot of large companies are taking smart buildings more seriously, are trying to build up their capabilities. Uh, just yesterday, I wrote a blog post on LinkedIn specifically about this, trying to, to add a little bit of rhyme and reason to some of the deals that are happening. Um, and and you know, I, I think that is also a positive sign, but that also means whether or not you're in touch with a quote unquote smart building innovator or vendor, you will probably see more smart building technology uh, come across your desk. Um, I, I would lastly uh, just say, um, if you have questions, if you hear anything of interest, please include them in the chat. I will remind you throughout the, the conversation but uh, we would love to get those questions and, and I'll make sure to ask them of our uh, guests. And at the end, we have a little bit, bit of time blocked out to just have an open discussion. Um, so as you have questions, feel free to type them in, we'll get them and I'll ask them a, 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 as, as we have time. Uh, so let me move now and introduce our first speaker, David Gallagher, Senior Manager of Digital Buildings at Oxford Properties. Uh, David Gallagher leads the Digital Buildings team at Oxford Properties an owner, manager, and developer of commercial real estate with a portfolio of over 300 buildings around the world. Uh, David is responsible for the strategy and execution of Oxford, Oxford's digital building technology initiatives. So digital buildings, smart buildings, fairly similar. Uh, key projects include digital twins and the, the data-driven optimization of buildings. David, thank you so much for being here. I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Joe. I think first I'll start off by saying what I'm about to show the audience over the next few slides and minutes is really based off of the lessons learned over about seven years of us implementing uh, technologies and creating digital buildings across the portfolio. So I hope some of this resonates with everyone and hopefully it's useful to, to some others as well. So jumping right in, uh, to set the stage, in our rapidly evolving industry, smart buildings offer the promise of many benefits. And I think everyone is familiar with these and Joe, you touched upon a few of them. So lower costs, higher revenues, improve ESG performance, reduce operational risk, and through the implementation of technologies, perhaps enhancing the experiences for customers within our buildings. And I think, uh, especially if you're like Oxford, given the current pressures that we're seeing today and the, the current economic outlook, these benefits are looking extremely attractive to both owners and customers. So over the past two years, we've been faced with the impact of COVID that has resulted in a lot of vacancies in buildings. There's also been a shift to remote working. So now a lot of our tenants and employees for those tenants are working from home. And if they're gonna come back into the office or you know, come back into a, a hotel or a shopping center, they're gonna want some reassurances that the space is healthy, that we've you know, cleaned it properly, and perhaps they'll also want some level of control over the environment. 
I'm also starting to see a hyper-focus around ESG, um, especially uh, more real-time data to be able to pr prove performance. And a lot of this is stemming out of the COP26 meetings that happened last year and just a refocus on ESG. And um, another thing that we're seeing is also increased risks, especially around cybersecurity. So in chatting with my uh, fellow colleagues on our cybersecurity team, I think they mentioned that last year was probably the worst year uh, for, for cybersecurity in terms of the number of attacks and threats that they saw. So a lot of pressures that we're currently facing, you align those with the benefits that smart buildings sort of offer and smart buildings look really, really attractive. However, there are some challenges. So if you're like Oxford and you've got 300 buildings, six different asset classes, a mixture of directly managed properties, indirectly managed ones and platform businesses, you have a lot of buildings. At the same time, there's so many available technologies on the marketplace. So we're seeing everything from digital twins to robots, IoT sensors, infrastructure within the buildings. You have so many buildings, so many technologies, really determining where to focus and how to obtain value can be very overwhelming, especially considering the fact that you can have a different approach to smart buildings in each one of the asset classes or management types for buildings. So definitely a doozy. And um, that's often what I look like on a day-to-day -day basis, just meditating over this stuff. But uh, thankfully there is a solution. So. In my experience, that solution means starting with a strategy. And there's really three key questions that you want to sort of think about and answer before you start building a smart buildings program and, and getting to the implementation. So the first question you wanna ask is really why? Why consider a smart buildings program? And this really helps you to flush out what your goals are and the purpose and why you need to do this. The second thing is actually who? Who are you building this program for? And you really have to take a look not only at your external customers, such as tenants, shoppers, and guests, but also look internally as well. Who are the users of this program and these technologies gonna be? So really designing with people and process in mind is key. And then finally, once you ask the why and the who, you can then ask the what. So what is it that we're gonna build? What are the technologies that we're gonna implement? And that really helps you to define the foundational pillars. So I'm gonna go into more detail on each one of these here. Um, firstly, with the why. why, why are we building a smart buildings program? Why do we need to do this? I think the first question you wanna ask is, have we identified a real need for this? Do we know what our goals are? Or are we just getting caught up in the hype? I think it's all too common for a lot of organizations to get caught up in the hype, start implementing a technology just because their competitor is doing it, and they don't really understand you know, second point, which is what problem are we trying to solve? What problem is it? What are the solutions? You know, how do we best obtain success? And even if you don't know what problem you're trying to solve, I think you can at least start with defining what's our thesis. So we don't quite know what the problem is, or maybe there isn't a problem or a challenge necessarily, but we think that by implementing these technologies, it will result in, you know, X, Y, or Z. So some common goals you may wanna consider are, you know, how do we better manage our energy use? How do we improve customer experience? How do we reduce maintenance costs? And I think what you'll find is you may not have just one singular goal. You might have a collection of goals and that sort of all wrap up under this concept of why. 
Moving on to the who, um, as I said, it's really important to define who are your users, both internally and externally, um, especially the internal ones. So uh, identifying if you have the appropriate resources and skill sets in your organization, or if you have to outsource that to be able to implement, use, and support the technologies that you're putting in the building. And then ultimately, how will your current way of doing things need to change? So if you put in a bunch of technologies in a building, let's say it's an analytics platform, and this platform is going to generate mounds and mounds of data, how are you going to change your processes internally to be able to utilize that information and actually operate more effectively? I find a lot of organizations actually don't think about uh, this key point. And then finally, moving on to the what. Once you've defined the, the why and the who, I think then you're in a position to start thinking about the technologies that you need to implement. So a couple of key questions you want to ask are, what pillars reflect the major areas of work that I need to do? And then how do I best structure my program in order to meet these goals? So as an example here, I'll show uh, our own sort of four key pillars, which center around infrastructure, digital twins, services, and culture. So infrastructure is really about the technologies that we put into our buildings. So systems, networks, um, IoT sensors, et cetera. Digital twinning for us is all about the software layer that allows us to make our buildings interoperable such that we can extract data and potentially send commands back into the buildings remotely. Services are all around the functionalities that we enable from a smart buildings perspective. So that could be as simple as extraction of information and crunching some KPIs on performance, or it could be things like integrating third-party applications through the digital twin to control the infrastructure. Lastly, which is actually what I think is most important, and it goes back to my point about the who and the people, is around uh, culture. So I think it's important to consider the culture because in my view, smart buildings aren't just about the technology. It's also about the journey. So you really want to ensure if you want to ensure success, I should say, you really need to think about how you're going to educate uh, your colleagues within the organization, how you're going to influence the implementation, how you're going to influence the adoption, and ultimately how you're going to demonstrate value. Because you can have the other three layers, the infrastructure, twin, and services sort of in place, but if you don't think about that culture and the ongoing use and demonstrating value, then I don't think you're going to hit the mark with smart buildings. So uh, in summary, if you're embarking on a smart buildings program, you definitely want to start with the strategy. Think about the why, the who, and the what, and always remember that smart buildings still need smart people. With that, I'll hand it back to Joe. Thank, thank you, David. Great presentation. Um, I think a couple of follow-ups, and again, anyone who's who's listening in, we'd love to see your questions as well. Um, what would you say some of the biggest barriers are when you're we're going through your presentation? You, you've been doing this for a while. You have a lot of real-world experience. There's probably challenges you've encountered where you didn't expect it going in, but you, you figured out a way. But, but what are some of those barriers that you can share that those who are, you know, not as 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 advanced as as Oxford might might be aware of or, or should be aware of? Well, I think it goes back to my third slide for the most part. It's just understanding where to focus. You have so many buildings, so many asset classes, so many systems for that matter. You know, how do you 
how do you understand what the need is and find the technologies to suit that need? I think additionally, more on the technical side, I'll give a sort of technical response. A lot of organizations probably don't even understand the infrastructure they have in their buildings. And that's a very key component of building a smart buildings program. So just yeah. something as simple as doing an inventory of your buildings, figuring out their actual maturity from an infrastructure perspective. Can those buildings support smart building technologies and applications? I think that you know, is a barrier, but that's actually a really good starting point as well. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I would say uh, I, I've heard oftentimes that, that the data integration or data accessibility is sometimes a little under the radar in terms of not something you expect to be a problem in your own buildings, but it can end up causing some something of a delay. Um, which it, it is, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, once you figure out your strategy and sort of the technologies you want to implement, that's sort of step two is actually integrating some of these and if you don't do your background homework on what systems you currently have and their capabilities, you're going to end up banging your head into a wall. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, you know, I've got a few scars from that. So it's really important to figure out what is your asset inventory? What is its, um, you know, level of digital maturity? And can yeah. we support the technologies that we want to implement? Right. Would you say there are there any other building on, on that? other technical challenges i mean asset inventory is a great one right it, it can be hard to deploy smart building technology if you don't have that uh, i've heard i've heard from high level asset inventory down to you know points lists that that can be hard to come by they're just not in a digital form are there other just more specifically on the technical challenge side that you've you've observed maybe in individual buildings or across the portfolio yeah, I mean, we could spend a whole, you know, two hours just discussing that. But I think a lot of the issues that we see actually come back to uh, maintenance contracts or a lack of maintenance, I should say. Yeah. You know, so you're expecting to integrate with your automation system and pull data from all of the HVAC devices, as an example. If those devices and equipment haven't been maintained and they're not in a, you know, position to be able to give you that data, you're not going to see information flowing at the end of the day. I think. Yeah maybe not as technical as, you know, do you have the right individuals who are helping you to implement as well, whether that be internally or from a vendor perspective externally, you know, do they understand the vision, what you're trying to get at and, you know, all the steps in the integration that need to, to happen, that can also be a barrier. Yeah, that makes sense. One question, which is actually a good question. We, I, I might ask the, the other speakers as well, but it, it just came in. Somebody was asking, what's the, what are the typical costs and typical ROI? And I think that's going to vary greatly, at least from what I've seen. But what would you share if somebody was to ask you, how do you think about the costs you're spending, the ROI uh, for, for smart building technology in your buildings? Well, it's a really loaded question. I think it really depends on the technology you're talking about and the scope of the project. I'd say for an analytics platform that does fault detection diagnostics, as an example, which is really common, we've seen about a two-year payback on the high end just by looking at the information yeah. that the platform's producing. I'd say from an overall building perspective, um, yeah, it's not uncommon to build a brand new building and to have deficiencies from day one, which take the next few years to resolve. So yeah. if you can actually utilize the data from those buildings and some of the technologies to help commission the building, I'm sure you'll pay off for those deficiencies, which may come from the operating budget you know, for yeah. the next five years. So it's not always easy to quantify the ROI and it can vary greatly depending on the specific technology right. instance you're talking about. But if done correctly with the people in the process, which I have to stress, 
you can see a lot of financial benefit from smart buildings. That's great. So we're going to move on. The one thing I will say to the, the individual who, who wrote that question, um, Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, which is a, a US uh, Department of Energy lab, they have a website. If you just Google smart energy analytics, others on, on the call, other speakers may know about this. They've actually published a report looking at various energy management, analytical solutions, smart building solutions, and real world deployments. And they actually have a whole section on the costs, the benefits. It's very informative. Um, I would also point everyone on the call who's interested in the ROI to that because it's real buildings, it's real data, it's free because it's like a, a federal government report. Um, and the website's pretty uh, uh, useful as well. Um, David, we're going to bring you back when we have uh, the, the, the Q&A at the end, but let me introduce Anna. Um, Anna Rawson, Facilities Technology Officer, Director of uh, Facilities Technology and Innovation Division at the GSA, the, the, General, um, the General Services Administration, so the, the government's landlord basically, uh, for Public Building Service and um, uh, Office of Facility Management. Anna is the Director uh, uh, of Facilities Technology and Innovation Division in the uh, Office of Facility Management for PBS, uh, Public Building Service, overseeing critical programs such as smart buildings, computerized maintenance management, operational excellence, advanced metering, and the Green Proving Ground program, which is an excellent program I'm sure you'll talk about. Uh, Anna, I'll turn it over to you and, and I'll come back to ask a couple questions. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So first I'm gonna start kind of with the big picture of our program. You kind of just did a quick overview of it, but I'm gonna go maybe with a little bit more detail here. So our advanced metering program, we brought our first meters onto the GSA network back in 2003. We now have over 1,700 and almost 500 buildings. In 2008, we integrated our first building automation system to the GSA network, and we're now close to 600 systems onto our GSA network, which allows really for a lot of opportunity into some of the other uh, programs that I'll, I'll be talking about. GSA Link went live in 2013, and that is a fault detection and diagnostic system that provides uh, analytics to drive operational efficiencies within our buildings. And in 2016, our national NCMMS, or National Computer Lighters Maintenance and Management System that you see at the top, uh, went live, which provides a work uh, a workflow system for GSA. It's used by over 2,000 users and 1,500 of our owned federal assets. So going a little bit deeper here, you know, we these are kind of the cornerstones of our building uh, programs right now, and we're continuing to build upon that as we as we look into new technologies in the smart sensor area, uh, as well as some other opportunities to help streamline the experience for our facility managers. So what you're seeing here are some of our broader goals. The future of GSA is smart buildings. You know, we're really looking at what foundational items do we need now in order to build upon our technology and for just to meet the, the portfolio need in the future. And so I joined the program for context back in uh, 2019 and joined the national program as the uh, smart buildings program manager. Prior to that, I worked many years in our Southeast office uh, working in support of our energy and sustainability group. And one of the things that I did when I first came to our national group was to work with our regional smart buildings experts or SMEs to evaluate what are our goals. You know, this is something that to David's point, it's very important and it's something that needs to grow with the program. Nothing is static, everything changes, right? And so with that, we did a lot of housekeeping of the program. We've assembled teams to really evaluate our missions and goals. And really the bottom line is GSA Smart Buildings is intended to deploy practical, 
user-focused and cyber-secure operational technology systems that empower facility managers to decrease operating costs, achieve sustainability goals, and increase tenant satisfaction. So there's a lot loaded in there, but I think it's important that we really keep the mindset around the people aspect around this, the facility managers and our end users of the, the buildings, because the buildings don't exist just to be buildings, they exist for people. And so as part of that, the framework that I'll be talking about, apologies there, but real fast, the framework that I'll be talking about is really the important part about this is how things interconnect, how things have the potential to build upon each other. And so building automation systems was really a key cornerstone part of the of our program and, and being integrated to the GSA network. It allowed for the opportunity to have more direct oversight and management on our on our building systems from day to, for day to day. We've really transitioned from that terminology to more of a building monitoring and control systems because there are so many more systems now that can be integrated and can be used and can be built upon uh, within smart buildings. As part of that, we have our uh, advanced metering, as I mentioned, that is, as an example, integrated into GSA link. We have 61 sites that are integrated for energy only, separate from our fault detection and diagnostics. Within our NCMMS program, that is actually integrated to GSA link. We, in 2017, uh, integrated GSA link to the workflow of NCMMS, where sparks, as we call them, or issues or uh, items that need to be dealt with are identified it automatically is entered into the workflow of NCMMS to create a work order that can be dealt with uh, within, within our buildings. And then we have, again, GSA link, a major cornerstone of that is the building automation system information and finding um, any trends or issues that would otherwise require a person behind that system to uh, capture and act upon it. So it helps prioritize the activities that need to take place. We call those techies, total estimated cost impact. We quantify it um, based on the impact of that specific issue. And then the, there's a lot more opportunity here in the expansion. So uh, we mentioned uh, uh, Green Proving Ground, GPG. That is a national program that's led under my division by uh, Kevin Powell. They've done 80 uh, different field validations, published nine, 49 reports on their technologies. And those really help feed the emerging technology to put them into a workflow of two proven technologies that then allow for what you see like in smart energy systems and energy technologies that can be integrated and we can continue to build upon our broader, uh, broader tools for our facility managers. You see smart sensors is a focus here as well. That is an area that GSA is heavily uh, focused in for within the organization, we have, we have a number of stakeholders that we're looking to deploy that latest as the latest initiative for us. So I'm gonna move on then to our pillars. So in any system that we deliver, we really are targeted on a few different concepts. And this is really with the intent of remaining flexible and agile through the years and making sure that we don't remain or don't put ourselves in a situation where we can get locked into a specific uh, path that then we can't move back from. So specific to that, we have open, converged, and normalized systems. So open is really focused on the fact that, that we want non-proprietary systems to the extent practicable. You know, systems that operate or are programmed on open communication protocols. So some examples of this, I'm sure you've heard, are BACnet, LawnWorks, and lighting. We have DALI lighting, Modbus, and some industrial or metering applications. 
And then converged is a key focus of our program as well. The focus here is around interoperability of systems. Our GSA network, and here's where I'll kind of give a caveat. We have 1,500 owned facilities, but we have a much broader portfolio that is inclusive of some leased facilities. We have almost 8,700 buildings total when combined our own, combining our owned and leased. Our focus within our smart buildings program is primarily on the own facilities because that is where we extend our GSA network. We work very closely with our GSA IT partners. The uh, cyber secure aspect to this is a critical part of our, our mission. And so for that, we have um, that level of engagement that allows for a continual look at where we can continue to converge systems in to the network and make use of not just siloed data or systems, but really have them inter interconnect to the extent practicable. So the systems overall, as I mentioned, we have about 600 facilities that are, are building automation systems that are, are connected to the GSA network, about 67,000 devices, uh, 250 system manufacturers, And our main, our main third item would be the normalizing of the data. So it's much easier to look for these opportunities to leverage from one system to the other if systems are deployed in a way where the data is normalized, that you have a common language, a common um, points list. So naming conventions, we have a, ver a very well-defined GSA normalization guide for our systems that we use in deployment of our systems that then allow us for further expansion and alignment when other uh, when we find other opportunities to converge the data. So in summary, we have a lot of different programs, a lot of sub-programs to our smart buildings program. And they've been deployed in a way that allows for flexibility and expansion. But that is One of the key important piece of this is to ensure that we you know, approach projects and system upgrades in a consistent way. And so as part of that, our smart buildings community within GSA identified the need for a smart buildings directive. We worked the majority of last fiscal year to really refine this directive and what it needs to look like in order to reach that consistency in our organization from the facility management side, from the project delivery side with our engineers. So the, the, the overall product of this was we define common terminology, we define the stakeholders, we define the purpose behind smart buildings for our organization. And we are happy to, to report that our administrator signed this smart buildings directive just as late as this, this December, it was put in place. And that helps drive further alignment and consistency in our program and, and, and offers a way for us to consistently share best practices as new systems and programs or uh, new systems are deployed. Anna, that was great. Uh, thank you very much for sharing um, what I tend to think of as a, as a really advanced uh, uh, operator of real estate. Uh, one, one quick question for you, and then I'm sure we'll have more questions. We're getting some great ones in, 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 uh, via the audience. Um, how do you, uh, you know, within such, you have 600 plus buildings, how do you prioritize which buildings will see smart buildings upgrades? If you generally think of, uh, you know, that as a category, I know there, you, you noted a lot of different technologies, but is there kind of a process at the front end where you say this building is ripe for X and that could be uh, a sensor deployment of one kind or a BAS upgrade? 
Sure. So we have 1,500 owned facilities. We have 600 that are connected to our GSA network. Um, one of the main items that we look at, we look at a few different items, first of all, like whether or not we're having any major investments, being a prospectus or capital type program or pro project investment, that is a ripe opportunity to make sure that it's aligned with our smart buildings um, directive and uh, our our pillars that I just outlined, which allows for a streamlined way to integrate these other systems that I've referenced. Uh, another component to this is what we call our covered facilities. Like where is there the most need based on energy or consumption or sustainability requirements that, you know, it's kind of the 80-20 rule, like majority of your consumption or majority of your business um, burden tends to be in a smaller subset of the inventory, and that tends to be some of your larger facilities, kind of speaking in, in generalities, but right. that helps us tunnel in on the buildings that tend to need the most attention. Um, and then separate to that, we really need to look at, you know, other business drivers based on what is being experienced at the facility, you know, looking down the pipeline of what projects are coming up, what uh, tenant needs there are, and then making sure that we're not just replacing things in kind, but looking at opportunities to replace them in a way that gets us closer, even if it's in an incremental way, um, mm -hmm. to a system that would allow for uh, inclusion into our programs. Great. Uh, we'll, we'll bring you back along with David and everyone else uh, towards the end of the session. Uh, I think now we're going to move on to our next speaker, but first we have a quick video. So I'll let the video run and then I'll introduce Mark. LinkSpring's Edge to Enterprise for Enterprise and Multi-Sites is a turnkey smart building solution that connects, accesses, and translates operational and facility data from devices and equipment into actionable information. Information that can save energy, increase efficiency, and reduce operating costs while maintaining a higher level of comfort for occupants. The Edge to Enterprise solution consists of hardware and software combined with engineering, deployment, and professional services. It's everything you need to deploy and experience the value of a smart facility enterprise, including connectivity, integration, interoperability, automation, command and control, data access and normalization, analytics, and cloud services. Okay, it seems like we may have had a, a issue with the video. I'll introduce Mark, our next speaker, uh, and, and then we can just keep moving on. Uh, Mark Mark Petock is a pioneer in leading the intelligent smart buildings and M2M movements, pushing the industry forward, and he's contributed to, to transforming and changing the intelligent buildings and M2M, uh, now IoT industries. Uh, so Mark, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. Uh, I'll turn it over to you to, to give a couple thoughts and, and go through your presentation. Great, appreciate it, and thanks everyone. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Chuck, for uh, helping out on this as well. I'm going to touch on a couple different areas. Some of it, I think, will echo what David and Anna has uh, said to us, and where I'm going to focus really on today is some keys to selecting the right smart building management and operating platform. So let me first start off by saying uh, the following statement. What does it mean for a building to be smarter? The key word here is smarter, not smart, but smarter. Smarter buildings deliver identified operational and occupant experience outcomes and results for all users through technology that connects, integrates, and enables systems and equipment interoperability. Without that 
or any of those features and functions, a building will not become smart or smarter. So let's kind of look at if you're beginning your journey, what should you be thinking about? What should you be asking yourself? So I'm going to go through a series of questions that I hope as you go through your journey to make your building smarter, that uh, you will have to get these answers. And part of this is also establishing what David referred to as a strategy. And so kind of look at this from first question that I'm just going to kind of share with you here is how much is it costing currently to operate my building or building? Second, my building has a control system already. Does that mean I have a smart building? What types of data do I really need to make a building smart or smarter? Why should I start adopting solutions now to make my building smart when it has been operating just fine for all these years? All my systems and equipment appear to be connected, but can they all seamlessly work together? Again, reference to what Anna had just uh, said and as well as David. Are they truly interoperable and integrated? Who within the organization will own this smart building initiative? Is it one person? Is it multiple people? Where is the best place to start? What systems within my building should I begin with? And is there a sequence to which uh, will work the best? How do I get our team and our company culture, which was mentioned earlier, to embrace new technologies and new ways to manage our buildings? And again, another question as you begin, the last question as you begin your journey is, what does success look like? Is there an endpoint? Is it continuous? So next, what I want to share with you is, okay, to begin, think platform first. After you've answered these questions, think of platform first. And when looking at a platform to, uh, to incorporate into your smarter building efforts, think of a platform that, again, offers connectivity. Is it wired, wireless, Wi-Fi, POE, IP enabled? Integration, again, am I integrating my lighting, my HVAC, my workplace systems, access control? Interoperability amongst between those systems. Control, do I want to have remote access uh, management and control, especially now in a covert type environment, being able to access your buildings remotely really, really is, is a good thing to have. Data, we can't say enough uh, about data and its importance. Access, normalization, orchestration. Can I, where, how am I going to exchange it? Who's going to exchange it? Health and safety, analytics, cybersecurity, and sustainability. And as you, again, furthering your journey here, here's as you begin to look at the platforms and solutions, here are some questions to ask yourself. Is the platform specifically designed and tailored for the built environment? Is it open? Is the platform multifunctional? Does it allow for integration and compatibility? How about the ease of use? Who's going to be using this within your organization? And is it easy for everyone? Does the platform have a universal user interface? 
Is it scalable? Does the platform provide resources that allow for easy add-on applications? And again, what we said earlier on, is it um, interoperable with each other? And then to wrap this up, oh, I'm, uh, Ian, can you get my slides back? Or did I do that? Sorry. Ah, here we go. Uh, apologies. Again, the um, cybersecurity side of this, uh, does the platform provider provide cybersecurity insurances? Does it enable edge to cloud computing? How is support going to be given to me? How long has the platform provider been in the industry? And then to wrap up, what I've got for you here, and I know this is a little bit hard to read, is a pyramid to take a look at a what I call a smart stack for a smarter building. So start at the bottom, physical. What type of uh, facility or facilities am I talking about? Retail, office building, data center, so forth and so on. What kind of systems, HVAC, lighting, uh, EV charging stations, uh, workplace uh, type of things. Exchange, how is all of this going to connect with one another? What kind of communications and what kind of protocols? What kind of applications am I gonna add on this from the analytics and so forth and so on to FDD, which was mentioned earlier. Delivery, who's gonna deliver this? Is it going to be me, meaning the building owner operator? Am I going to partner with uh, solution providers, system integrators, contractors? From an operational perspective, again, what do I want with all of this? Do I want one single place where all of my buildings can be viewed, managed, and controlled? KPIs, I think it's very, very important that you identify key performance measurement and evaluation activities as part of developing your, your strategy. Outcomes, we talked about cost. To me, cost, while cost is important, ROI, it's at outcomes. You gotta identify the tangible and the measurable outcomes. And finally, how do these outcomes uh, add in and support the results that you're looking for? lower operating costs, uh, more energy efficiency, how does it affect my CapEx, OpEx, and so forth and so on. So hopefully I've given you a, a, a beginning of a start here to consider. So Joe, back to you. Thanks, Mark. Uh, we don't have too much time. I want to move on soon, but I do want to ask you just generally, when you look at the state of smarter buildings, to your point, would you say, um, you know, maybe assessing the current deployment, where are we? Do you see acceleration? Do you see we've kind of plateaued and we're going to continue to have uh, uh, deployments of smart buildings? So where, where do things stand very generally if somebody was just asking you for your, your you know, 10 second, what's the state of the smart building industry? I think we are at the best place we've ever been right now and for the next five to six years for a lot of different reasons, whether it be COVID related. Finally, I think everybody, the technology is here, it's proven, uh, so forth and so on. So there are a lot of contributing factors that for me, 2022 uh, going through 2026, 27 is going to be outstanding years for smarter buildings. 
That's great, Mark. We'll bring you back along with the rest of the, the speakers. Um, if, if you have questions to the audience, that is, if you have questions, please feel free to share them. Um, we're getting them. We're going to ask those that we haven't asked already. We'll ask them when we, we have the, uh, the open discussion towards the end. Now, though, I want to turn to our next speaker, Ram Eisenberg. Uh, he's the Chief, Rev Chief Revenue Officer at Contact.io. With over 18 years of experience from industrial IoT to smart healthcare, Ram is the Chief Revenue Officer of Contact.io, where he guides the company's market expansion and leads their solution portfolio on workplace safety and efficiency. Ram, thank you for being here today. Uh, I'll turn it over to you for your presentation. Hey, Joe. Thanks so much. <clears throat> So um, I think I'll be uh, the black sheep in the family today. I'm going to talk to you about smart buildings, but I'm going to focus my conversation about human-centric buildings and uh, how does it differ and what have we learned over the last four to five years that evolved our entire perception of what it makes up a smart building. I'll finish with a little bit of IoT strategy uh, uh, some practicalities of how uh, uh, at least uh, we see uh, the world of uh, workspaces and IoT and buildings. So I think that as you have noticed, uh, and, and, and I will exclude Anna that made the, the excellent point that uh, buildings are used by people and maybe the human factor is, is relevant to think about. But overall, the smart building industry technologies over the last decade has focused on connecting and automating elevators and air conditioners and water pumps and doors and electricity meters, generally building utilities, the machine side of the building. This to deliver operating efficiencies, in other words, to save you property owners, operators, money. It's a worthy cause. Interestingly enough, uh, people as a variable has never really been part of the smart building equation. Here is an example. I'm showing you the electricity consumption of Brooklyn College of CUNY University, the largest university in New York State, uh, during the COVID pandemic. On the left side, uh, March, uh, is when the campus was shut down. On the right side, uh, what, almost three months later, uh, this, the, this campus was standing completely empty. Look at how power was consumed by the building. It is basically or one would suggest that the building is completely ignorant, whether it's empty or full of people. Uh, uh, there are many, many examples to that phenomenon. And uh, I have some good news in that respect, because new AI combined with IoT sensors, some of the networks you already have in your buildings, like connected lights, like Wi-Fi, uh, combined with cloud technologies are delivering are allowing us to extract a new building DNA, a new metadata layer that describes the inter interactions between human beings, the equipment they use, and the space they occupy. When we do that, and when, when can we represent the building uh, uh, through APIs, uh, we can talk to you about three new dimensions that building operators uh, and renters can leverage. Spatial awareness, environmental awareness and object awareness where are things that are not hammered to the uh, floor and how are they moving inside the building now this data can be weaponized and 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 and, and it can lead or, or, or be utilized to deliver benefits so human building interactions we have this new interface what is it good for for property owners and operators 
you know, there are a lot of benefits, for example, where we can uh, reduce the heating and shut down uh, power for a building that stands completely empty. Uh, of course, we can better manage equipment and spaces, we can reduce carbon footprints, we can uh, increase uh, the utility uh, uh, performance. But I think most importantly, and this is maybe the key uh, 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 focus area uh, at 2022 for op uh, building operators, or believe, at least we believe we should be, uh, uh, the reality that people, your tenant, the people who pay the rent, they don't want to come to the office. They simply are not interested. Uh, they prefer to work from home. And uh, in the struggle of pushing rents back up, creating value for tenants, uh, focusing on people and their needs in, is critical. So from a tenant perspective, delivering digital building services that provide people with pleasant, useful and safe indoor experiences. What do I mean? I mean that in a hospital, uh, if we help a nurse find an infusion pump uh, uh, faster, uh, 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 he can spend more time with his patient. Uh, uh, in an uh, office building, if we help a new employee find uh, their way to a meeting room, we can make sure they're not late for the first meeting with their team. When we are looking at occupancy management, we uh, can make sure, uh, you can make sure uh, that your tenants have the space they need to work and uh, their peers can use this space when they stop using it. So people always have space to think. This set of technologies, and I'm, 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 I'm almost out of time, so I will just say in three world, words, three simple layers. You want to think about your IoT connectivity layer that happens not in the basement, not in the on the roof, not in the utility areas, but in the areas occupied by the human beings for which the building was built, uh, for, for which use the building was built. IoT enterprise networks today are delivered by your Wi-Fi access points, by connected ceiling lights like Signify, like Siemens, by BLE uh, gateways or otherwise overlay networks, which I think are really the least, least preferred method. Uh, on top of this, uh, gateways come a cloud platform using AI that delivers you with data or represents what happens in the building using APIs. These APIs, and again, if they're delivered as an open standard, they can support both your existing stakeholders and the existing applications that they use, whether you are an IBM Trariga client or you use JCI. Uh, uh, of course, they can power new digital experiences for tenants. Uh, through mobile integrations uh, and, and standalone applications that address use cases like occupancy management, like, like access, like emergency evacuation, uh, uh, all the things uh, that uh, combine uh, space uh, with the humans that occupy it. So I think uh, uh, with that, uh, yeah, Rom. Rom, no, thank you. Great presentation. Real quick before we move on to the next next one, you know, you note the human element, very important. Um, one of the things I've noticed in, in smart buildings is that the, the quantification of value or the ROI, if you will, can be difficult when you move beyond hard things like energy savings. More generally, when you're talking to clients or prospects, what, how do you just have that, that discussion around ROI? Um, what are some of the points you make uh, briefly? I, I, I think two different dimensions. The first is that for property owners, uh, there is an, a significant pressure on the rents. Uh, uh, there is a change in demand uh, for a fixed supply that will push rents down. And the competitive dimensions of trying to pull, uh, to attract uh, renters, 
and maintain renters uh, is goes through the people formula uh, and we work and others are excellent examples for that from a quantified roi perspective uh, for an average floor and you we have data from cbre that cbre research all the way back in 2015 uh, in many many sectors of the economy uh, uh, not anna's problem in government their uh, desk utilization is at 80 percent but in telco uh, financial services, all the greater uh, real estate, desk occupancy in 2015 was at 30%, so 70% empty. This is not COVID. This always have been the fact, and that means and quantified that we can save an you know, average in North America $230,000 per floor of 200 employees in size. So yeah. we're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars of savings, and all of which I'm saying least less important the key factor today is attracting renters and understanding that your clients have changing needs and not being able to meet them uh, uh, means uh, lower rents and empty buildings yeah it's a great point i've seen similar data on conference rooms uh, just the amount of emptiness in conference rooms or just the misalignment between the size of the meeting and the size of the conference room um Rom, that's great. We'll bring you back. We have one more presenter. We'll bring you back. We'll have a, a panel discussion um, in a moment, but I appreciate your time and your presentation. And, and to anyone who's listening in, please keep those questions coming. I, I think we'll have plenty of time after our next presenter uh, to, to go through those questions. Uh, so before, before we get there, uh, we have a quick video to share. So I'll take a quick pause, let the video play, and then I'll come back and introduce our next speaker. Okay, great, and we're back. Uh, let me introduce Dick Sherwin, um, CEO of Spot On Networks. Dick has been involved in wireless communications and radio frequency transmission for the past 30 years. He founded and funded Spot On Networks, a provider of wireless telecommunications for the multifamily residential and multi-tenant commercial building industry. Dick, hello, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, I'll turn it over to you for your slides. Joe, thank you very much. Uh, and I want to thank Sarah and Realcom and Chuck for setting this up. Um, I, I think that the best way for me to respond um, to some of the uh, points that were made by Mark and Ram earlier, um, the, the issue of interoperability and connectivity are critical to implementing a platform. And of course, uh, both mentioned cybersecurity as a critical ingredient to setting up a, a platform for a building. Today, Wi-Fi in uh, multi-tenant buildings is most often deployed to support residential services as well as critical IoT use cases. There are some low power protocols such as LoRa, Zigbee, Z-Wave, and now the new recently released Halo by the Wi-Fi, uh, the, the WFA, um, are used to connect sensors and low power devices, but they basically run off hubs 
and those hubs are connected uh, in some fashion to a central network in a building which is then connected to either on-site servers or the cloud. Um, when used in tandem, both Wi-Fi and the low power protocols support a vast array of IoT devices uh, and uh, use cases uh, that include smart buildings, smart hospitality, smart cities, smart villages, smart venues, and in-home consumer uh, smart stuff. In a recent study, the number of devices per U.S. household increased 38% in the last year and primarily were voice assistants, security cameras, and believe it or not, smart light bulbs. I think the way to think about a, a network um, that provides connectivity and interoperability in a building is to think of a smart building as a tree. The trunk of the tree is a set of fibers or wire riser cables that deliver data to and from the extremities of the tree. The main horizontal branches, in our case, the connections to access points, that deliver data in both directions from users or sensors to applications in the cloud or to on-site servers. That's the way we think of the network. One network is therefore capable of providing all of the resident and tenant required services, like those you see on the chart in front of you, as well as building owner management requirements uh, with connectivity to collect data, control certain devices, and to make the building more efficient. Because of the pandemic, uh, there is much more need for high-speed capacity and high-speed and high-speed uh, high data capability. And you'll notice on the left, I've outlined the resident uh, requirements. On the right, I've selected some of the building owner connectivity requirements. And with the addition of Wi-Fi 6 that is now available uh, here in the United States, Wi-Fi protocol can basically handle all of these requirements and use cases. For businesses, energy costs make up some one-third of budgets, and energy production results in up to 20% of the nation's annual greenhouse gas emissions. You heard Anna talk earlier about the need for the pillars and why it was important. There are a couple of additional things that, that I should point out. States like New York have now introduced energy benchmarks that will uh, be required uh, to be performed starting in 2023. The, the purpose of bringing that up is there is not only the profit motive and return on investment mentioned by some of the other speakers, but there are also going to be requirements established by states and cities to meet certain benchmarks uh, on energy saving, carbon emissions, and other factors that are going to be implemented over the course of the next few years. IoT devices are required to use very low power, uh, uh, divide, uh, very low power to reduce the need for battery changes. These, many of these sensors and other types of IoT devices are powered by battery 
And the one thing we don't want to have maintenance people do is have to constantly change batteries in these devices. So low power protocol is critical. LoRa, Halo, Zigbee, Z-Wave, and now Wi-Fi 6 all have, uh, you know, all utilize low power protocol so that batteries won't have to be changed. By deploying Wi-Fi and these other low power protocol transmission mechanisms, wiring costs to make a building smart are reduced and devices can be added as necessary as they become available as the technology improves. Any building network, any building connectivity requires management. Data security and continuous uninterrupted connectivity are mission critical to ensure proper functioning of all of the services I've just mentioned. Managed uh, networks, uh, managing the network is a critical uh, part of establishing the platform and making sure that interoperability and connectivity occurs. I think the point is that, that an IoT platform, a system um, that David had mentioned and others had mentioned is only as good as the connectivity provided to them and to the servers and apps that that actually collect all the data and give the building owner the ability to um, uh, to reduce costs and provide additional services. A managed network is more than just installing access points or smart hubs. The network needs to be tested periodically because the nature of radio frequency is that it's constantly changing. There are constant interferences. There are constant shadows that come into play. And so it's important to manage the network and test it periodically. In addition, constant monitoring assures connectivity. Live access to support 24 seven is also critical for residents and building staff so that any kind of an issue that occurs can be addressed immediately. Analyzing metrics of the network ensures that appropriate capacity is available for all users. And lastly, ensuring quality of service for all users keeps tenants satisfied and makes building operations more efficient. One of the things that Joe has been uh, pointing out uh, is return on investment. And what I have for you to look at is a case study that we we performed in 2021 uh, with a partner of ours, Logical Buildings. Uh, the case study is a 500 unit apartment complex. Um, it's about 160,000 square foot uh, high rise. I'm sorry, it's 160,000 square foot uh, uh, per floor high rise. Um, basically, what we analyzed was that the building could save annually about $27,000 a year in energy savings by shifting load and doing certain things based upon data collected in the early phases of the implementation of this smart building. 
we put the network in, we provided all of the residents with voice calling and texting, we provided all of the connectivity for the sensors and all of the uh, control devices, thermostats, things like that. And what you see on the chart, and you can get a copy of, I guess you can get a copy of this from Realcom. What you see on the chart is that while the network cost about 165,000 on a one-time basis, and it cost about $3,450 a month, over the course of the five-year period, the network actually, together with the savings, actually made a profit. And so you need to consider that, and I guess Mark gave you some steps to do that. You need to consider how to measure the return on investment on the savings of energy and the production of services to residents. And that's it for me, Joe, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Dick. Uh, I was actually going to ask you a quick question before we bring everyone else back. Um, in terms of, of the ROI discussion beyond energy, where are some, and you noted kind of a higher level of service to tenants, to renters um, and, and the like, are there other areas where you see maybe not currently a lot of focus on the ROI, but you see moving forward, we will, we will, we will quantify these elements and uh, those who are buying these technologies and, and deploying networks like this, they will be interested in them. So I guess maybe, Speak, speak to what you think of as a, the ROI will be moving forward. Sure. Um, there, there are multiple sides of ROI in this, in this equation. You, you just mentioned the fact that, well, you have energy savings. Um, right. That's one thing. Uh, the second thing is there are some programs that have become available in certain cities and states, and one of them is New York City uh, with Con Ed, that provides grid rewards for residents who actually have smart thermostats that they can control and can do so remotely via wireless connectivity and they can save they can save themselves money and get rewards for doing so but it also impacts the building because if the building owner has such a smart rewards uh such a, a smart grid rewards program con ed can uh offset some of their costs with some bonuses Lastly, uh, I think one of the critical issues is um, uh, the, the carbon uh, credit issue. Uh, there are, as I mentioned earlier, going to be benchmarks provided by states and cities that are going to say, well, we're going to have to have uh, uh, so much carbon reduction in such a period of time. And that may have monetary effects uh, to it as well. And so I think that's an area that can be looked at as a return on investment. Great, Dick, um, that, that's great. I, I think the next step uh, is for us to bring all of the panelists back uh, and have a bit of an open discussion, uh, panel discussion. Uh, we've received a number of great questions uh, from the audience, and I think we'll have time to bring more in uh, so if you have a question, just just send it through the chat. Maybe the first question, and I'll I'll leave this. Let's do first to um, David and to Anna, uh, just as the operators of real estate, owners, operators of real estate, and then we can go down the line. Um, the the question was, and I'll just read it. 
what smart building program do you use to benchmark the current state of intelligence or the you know current state of your smart building maturity i suppose there are a number of ways to do this external programs uh they mentioned boma wired score has smart score uh there's also internal programs um we built an internal maturity model this is the the, the question uh, uh writer we've built an internal maturity model to assess the maturity of our buildings and are monitoring the development of ex external programs so maybe david and then Anna, just speak to some of these these programs benchmarking programs around the smart buildings uh that, that you have yeah thanks joe i think that was actually my answer that i put into the chat there but um we we've developed our own internal and uh, maturity model to uh, to assess the the level of maturity of our, the infrastructure in our buildings. At the same time, we're also monitoring the development of external benchmarking programs like uh, Wired Score, Smart Score. Boma is coming up with one as well now. There's several others out there. I think you know what we found is there still isn't a dominant market leader yet. And in the absence of that, we're sort of monitoring all of them and we've built our own sort of program internally. Got it. I think <laughs> I, I asked the question and asked as part of the question your answer, but that was good clarification. Uh, Anna, uh, what about you as it relates to internal, external benchmarking um, of the, the, the level of smart buildings, I guess, in your buildings? Sure, we've relied on third-party verification, specifically in partnership with academia. Uh, Carnegie Mellon University is an example. We work very closely with them and they've done evaluations on our GSA linked techie or total estimated cost impact. Most recently last year, they did an evaluation on our advanced metering program and the data. Within. So that's been our main method. I'm certainly open to evaluating other methods as we continue to build the program. Certainly. It seems like there are more and more of these standards. I've heard of others even beyond what's been mentioned, uh, what we've already mentioned. Let's um, you know, go Mark, Rom, and then Dick, just on, on your, your points of view on, on standards out there, maybe also of your clients, what you're seeing, are they using internal benchmarking, external benchmarking, still not, not happening as, as pro, uh, prevalent as, as we might think? So Mark, let's go to you first for that question. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's a, it's as prevalent as it should be or can be. Mm -hmm. We kind of start off like that. And yeah, you know, some of the ones you mentioned, uh, definitely we're starting to see a little bit of traction towards those. And again, I think, is it because of the benchmarking side of this or is it because they can add value almost like a good housekeeping seal of approval if I go back years or the rating of a restaurant you go in and it's an A or a 98% you want to go into a building that is to it was said earlier that is safe and you want to feel comfortable and so forth and so on but from a benchmarking thing I think again where we're seeing is most of it is some internal tools and things that were built specifically for them by the owner operator as David has shared with us as well. That's great. You know, it's it's funny. I think where we're seeing on the green building front, if we think of smart buildings as maybe following a similar trajectory, there is pretty good data now across a lot of buildings. Uh, and it's been there for a few years now that if you have a green building, LEED certified, Energy Star certified, that actually does drive up rent, that does uh, drive up occupancy, so on and so forth. Part of that, I think, is because my personal view is we have enough buildings now that are LEED certified. There's a standard standard there or Energy Star certified, also a standard where we can look at the comparison between those that are and those that aren't. And I think the hope we all have in the industry is 
more buildings certified via a, a smart building certification will allow us to draw some of those same conclusions. Rob, let, let me. I, I, I would agree just real quick, and I'll just add that I think these types of certifications are good, but also that they increase the asset value of the property. So, in right. other words, if I have a building that has, you know, XYZ certification and one that doesn't, and I put them both on the market to sell at the same time, and essentially they're the same building, the one with the certification that qualifies, meets the standard, should command uh, a, a little bit more money when you go to sell that asset. That's great. Uh, Ram, do you have anything to add? Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, Joe, I think the industry right now is in flex. Uh, uh, people are mostly confused and you see strategies that go in all different directions. Uh, people are just not sure. Uh, um, from healthy buildings and building wellness, coining all kinds of new terms. There are a flux of standards that drive that. Most of the people I talk to, they really don't know what it means. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Deutsche Bank was announced that they are not going to return to, uh, uh, to buildings before 2024, regardless of COVID. Uh, the CEO of Lloyds Bank uh, said he wants to cut down 70% of their office space. I think that there is right now, uh, uh, employees are quitting, by the way, uh, at 6% a, a year, uh, unprecedented rate. So I think we are in flux uh, and there are a lot of standards and talk that is crossing the air with many, many uh, major renters and a lot of facility managers really not completely sure what everything means and what's most important. That's great. Dick, so on, on this oh. If I could add, I mean, I, I truly think I can't help but to think that we're focused on the wrong thing, right? Like measuring the smartness of the building is one thing, but what we really should be measuring is the quality of the data and the use and action upon that data. So that that's really where I think that we'll actually make a great deal of headway and progress in our facilities operations and in having a true impact on the people within. So just wanted to point that out. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, do you feel like do you feel like following up on that real quick? Uh, and then I'll go to Dick after. Do you feel like some of the certifications out there currently that you've seen or heard maybe aren't as focused on that issue as, as they should be? Or is it just a little bit separate than what a smart building certification would include? I just worry that like a smart building certification specifically on the systems is the wrong measurement. Like if we're talking about indoor air quality or sustainability measures or, you know, there's there's different, I think, objective items that are very important to the mission. And I don't know that the technology itself is one that is the technology is a tool to it. You know, so I think that's an important consideration. It's a great point. Great point. Dick, let me go to you for any thoughts you have on on the uh, uh, certifications around smart buildings, internal or external, and then we'll move on with more, more questions we're getting. Please, Dick. Sure. Uh, first of all, and you mentioned, Joe, LEED certification, and I think that's a critical issue. LEED certification doesn't measure smart building. It measures the energy use and, and conservation of the building and uh, certain categories, platinum, gold, silver, and all that, are determined based upon how much energy saving is done in the building. And so if you have low emissivity glass windows and you have concrete structure and you have a very highly uh, placed lead certification, guess what happens? You have no ability to get cell service in the building because the low emissivity glass and the concrete structure stop, the, uh, stop cell service in the building. 
then that becomes a real important thing in putting in a Wi-Fi network in a building to manage the building, uh, manage the residential services in the building. As it turns out, Wired Score is putting together benchmarking of connectivity in the building, not smart building that I know of. And we've worked with Wired Score to determine how best to qualify the connectivity in the building. But I haven't seen anything on smart building. It's a great point. Um, we have another question. I, I think we touched on this a little bit, but I'll ask, and let's just do the same same approach, David and then Anna, and then we can go to, to the, the other three speakers, Mark, then Rom, then Dick. Um, I'll just read the question. What are the variables that need to be investigated to determine what level of digital maturity an asset is at? Is there an industry accepted standard set of survey questions or a checklist to document an asset's digital maturity? I think I tend to think of this as maybe readiness is another word. Is your building ready to deploy smart building technology? How do you figure that out? And maybe even how do you prioritize which buildings to start with? Uh, if you're starting with a smart buildings program, you want to pick most likely a building where it's it's straightforward to implement and you can actually quantify a savings, prove that value and then expand. David though, on, on maybe what I would consider smart building readiness or just the variables you need to understand and investigate, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, so I think you asked a few questions in there, but um, yeah. in terms of system yeah. readiness, I would say I haven't seen necessarily an industry sort of standard or template as to how to assess the readiness. But in my experience, there's sort of four keys. One is, is that system digital versus pneumatic? So can you actually get a signal out of it? The second is, does it speak an open protocol, something like BACnet, Modbus, something you can easily integrate with? Thirdly, for us, is it integrated onto a converged network? Because that's a part of our technical strategy. And then fourth, is that data available in an easy to you know, integrate sort of manner where you can ingest it? I think um, you asked another question there. I, I forgot it was around. Uh, if there are, is, yeah, is there an industry accept, accepted standard set of survey questions or a check, excuse me, a checklist to document an asset's digital maturity? No, it's basically those four things that I talked about. I mean, you really have to go through system by system to understand its maturity. I think your other question now that's coming to me is how do you prioritize, you know, which buildings to sort of make smart? I think you have to look at the overall level of maturity and sort of align that with your asset management plans as well. You know, if you know you're going to sell the building in a couple of years, it may or may not make sense to make the investments to get those systems to a higher level of maturity. So it's not just looking at the systems in isolation is, is what I'm trying to say. You have to look at the positioning of the asset as well. That's great. Anna, anything on your side to add? So we've had for a number of years in our GSA link program, a readiness checklist to evaluate whether or not the system is prepared for FTD. And we most recently worked with a, the portfolio part of GSA to add those questions and into what our uh, building monitoring control aspects of our routine assessments that are done broadly on all 1500 of our buildings. So that would help us in a, a identify earlier, earlier, even than just identifying the buildings we think we want on, which buildings may be ripe for uh, integration. So that's the, the direction we've been going uh, in looking at FDD as, as a starting point and now more broadly incorporating it into our assessments that are routinely done. Great. 
Let's go Mark, Rom, and Dick. And there's one more question if we have time I'd like to get to. So I'll let you though, I'll, I'll speak to, to this question first. Mark? Well, I wanna echo what David said. I think those are four really good strategic ways to kind of take a look at this. And then let me also add two other things is one, knowing what you have in your buildings behind the, the closet doors to your point uh, as far as the types of systems and can they be connected to and can you access data so forth and so on and then ultimately what facility should i do or whatever all that comes down to a business decision and uh i think and you got to look at it from that perspective do I have a fully occupied building here and I've got some tenants in this particular case that may be shopping around for a, a, a new space? Will making my building smarter uh, help me maintain them? Or I've got six empty buildings. How do I bring in more tenants uh, and get them occupied and get rent and so forth and so on? So look at it from the business perspective. Got it. Um, Rob. Please. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be brief. I, I think that there are two critical layers that need to be in place. Uh, one is a pervasive infrastructure that allows building operators to move from buying point solutions to point problems uh, and to aggregate and to gain the flexibility to deploy solutions uh, uh, with different priorities, of course. So uh, pervasive infrastructure that can connect sensors, device, machines, equipment, and extract data. And the second layer is, uh, uh, do you have as an organization a platform that knows how to ingress this data, standardize, normalize it, and make it available through APIs to third parties? If the answer to these questions is, are, is yes, then this asset is ready to be digitized. And the next question is a question of priorities, what's more important, what's more urgent, uh, uh, but flexibility and agility are, are core and they're driven by a pervasive infrastructure and a digital platforms aggregation and API layers. Great. Dick, anything to add on on this one? Questions above my pay grade. Okay. No, it's fair. We'll keep moving on. I think there's at least one more question I'd like to ask. I'll ask it now. We have about five or six more minutes. Um, any, and this is a, this is a good one. Uh, any examples of a smart solution or use case that anyone wanted to implement but couldn't specifically because today's wireless infrastructure couldn't support it with regard to bandwidth, security, latency, density? And it says in parentheses, this question is really about the reasons users may need 5G over other wireless technology. I like that question a lot. I'd say if you don't have something specific there, maybe other examples where you tried to deploy a smart technology and, and weren't able to, that you're willing to share, that would be interesting. Um, let's go David and Anna, if that's okay, to start. Sure, yeah, so I don't have a specific example of you know integrating a specific technology, but I know we have one site where, uh, what I'll say is a part of our strategy for smart buildings is to put in converged networks into all of our buildings. So traditionally that's in an office building where it's a straight riser up, you put in switches, your network is in. Well, this one particular site is an outdoor shopping center where it's very, very expensive to run a, a network sort of, you know, you have to dig up the roads, install conduits, ROM cabling and such. Just very, very expensive given the, the number of outdoor sites. So in that example, we actually looked to a wireless solution point to point where we could have antennas on top of key buildings and set up a wireless infrastructure. Well, it turns out that that is actually very, very expensive to do as well. <laughs> so 
that was a few years ago. I think we moved forward with some form of wireless infrastructure there, but I think to the person who asked this question, perhaps something like 5G, you know, if that technology was available at the time, might have helped to bring that cost down uh, right. for putting wireless infrastructure. So I, I do see it will become more commonplace in buildings over time. That's great. Anna, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the, the question is the getting to yes part of this, right? Like we are uh, being the government, we're very focused on cybersecurity and wireless technology has been, uh, I think, at the forefront of the concerns, a lot of questions, a lot of partnership with their GSA IT partners and evaluating how it could be done in a secure way. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity, and especially in the space of smart sensors, uh, to use wireless technologies, and that would really help us leverage and spread them more per more easily through the inventory. Uh, but again, the challenges around cyber, I think, is going to be the main uh, that we have to crack. So it. that's it. Yeah, it's great. Mark, anything you'd like to add briefly? Um, sure. Uh, echo uh, what Anna said, especially on cyber. And then also it comes down to, is it a retrofit or is it new construction? And I yeah. think that's that's a key there. You know, retrofits, some of these buildings have been around, you know, 1900s early you know whatever and in some of those the challenges are a little bit harder with respect to wireless uh obviously new construction you know taking into account oh we want to have wireless uh and so the designers and the uh engineers figure that in as far as the construction so i think it all depends on the building type retrofit or new great Rob, anything to share on on uh, you know solutions that somebody wanted that you've seen that wanted to implement that couldn't? Uh, maybe it's more a 5G question, picking that over other technologies, but really around bandwidth, security, latency, um, density, so on and so forth. I mean, I, I I think that the simple answer is that the network, the connectivity layer, is the heaviest, biggest investment, and we are definitely seeing actually every day. Uh, uh, line of business users, uh, operators that have problems they want to solve, they have the budget to solve the problem, but they cannot carry the load of connecting the entire building in terms of infrastructure uh, by themselves. 5, 5G is a good workaround. I don't think 5G is the long-term strategy for indoor uh, connectivity. It's a workaround allowing you to, to deploy a point solution to a point problem uh, uh, where uh, maybe your peers or other departments or other sections of the building don't get to enjoy it. Uh, I want to say that Wi-Fi 6, and we are in the midst of a Wi-Fi 6 upgrade cycle, more or less every six years, uh, Wi-Fi access points get upgraded. We're in the midst of one. If you look at what Cisco is doing with their DNA spaces, the Catalyst 900 uh, access points, uh, uh, others also have solutions. All of those devices today come with built-in IoT connectivity, sensor connectivity layers dedicated. You have a lot of security and standards that are driven by corporations like Cisco, right? Uh, uh, that relieve the the, the concern, or you know, especially from for small portfolio op uh, operators that don't really have in-house expertise around cyber. Uh, uh, it's it's always a good idea to peg to an industry leader. And I want to say that between connected ceilings and uh, access points, you know, you have a lot better, more scalable, robust indoor options. Uh, uh, but 5D is useful when you want a quick solution uh, in a specific area of the building, definitely. That's great. Dick, real quickly, anything to add on this one? You bet. This is in my wheelhouse. <laughs> right, I figured. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, first of all, let, let me say this. 5G 
is a protocol that is geared for wide area network outside the buildings. Wi-Fi 6, as Ram pointed out, is geared for inside the building. And with the addition of the features in Wi-Fi 6, including target wait time, the extra one gigahertz of frequency, the ability to penetrate further, Wi-Fi 6 has become the go-to uh, protocol to deliver wireless connectivity inside a building. And yes, many of the access point manufacturers, Cisco included, but also Ruckus, have um, uh, BLE, they have Zigbee, they have LoRa, they have Halo, they have all these protocols built into their access points, which means you can run almost any kind of device on a network. Most importantly, cybersecurity is a big issue. One of the things that we've done is we've added a level of cybersecurity by providing client isolation that goes to protecting every single device and every single user in the network so that nobody can hack it. And so my point to you, uh, Joe, in answer to your question is 5G has its use outside the building, but Wi-Fi 6 and the other protocols, they're geared for the inside of the building. That's great. Uh, I think that's all the time we have. I'm going to bring uh, Chuck back on in a moment, but I just want to thank all of the speakers. This was very informative. It was a great introduction to smart buildings. We had uh, Anna and David speak about their experiences at GSA and Oxford Properties, respectively. And then we had some key vendors and innovators in the in the market, uh, Dick, Rom, and Mark. Uh, I also appreciate your time and your comments. And also thank you to everyone who attended and who asked great questions. Sorry we didn't get to all of them, but we got to a, a, a fair number of them. Chuck, over to you. You did great. You got fantastic. It was great to just sit here and watch it. I was, I, I'm trying to help guide it and take notes at the same time. So I may have to go back and watch it again. So you got a great mix, great panel. Really do appreciate all of your efforts, especially to the sponsors, Contact.io, LinkSpring, and Spot On Networks. Without you guys, that this these things just don't happen. So thank you again for that. I do want to remind our guests uh, and uh, anyone watching this, to go to realcom.com and register for the next in the series. We'll be talking all about uh, carbon neutrality, the path to carbon uh, uh, zero, the ESG components, starting to get really into some more of advanced uh, features of, of smart building technology. So thanks again. I hope everybody has a great day uh, and uh, be safe and we'll see you next time. Thank you.